Welcome back, dear listeners, to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod. What a massive weekend of football on field and off the field it turned out to be. With me to discuss it all for the first time this season, uh, Patty Grinley. Patty, how are you? Welcome back on the Footy Podcast. You're a busy man. Lucky to get you on. Uh, pleasure to have you on, mate. Thanks, Casper. Um, no, it's good to be back on on your pod. It's good to be back watching footy over the weekend, men's footy, I suppose. Um, there's a lot, a lot of it this weekend. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll do our best to sort of break it down and and see what we made of it. Absolutely. Now, before we get on to the AFL men's, we do have quite a lot to discuss with the AFLW. There were supposed to be two qualifying finals set up. Um, there were one. There was one played. We'll get to the reason why the other one wasn't. But in the one that was played, Fremantle defeated North Melbourne by 38 points, 69 to 31. North Melbourne's first loss at Arden Street this year. Frio's good road form has continued. Only lost one game on the road so far, setting up an Adelaide versus Fremantle prelim final. It was an even start before a six goal to one second half for Fremantle. Um, it was interesting. Both Ruck were injured, but it seemed like Fremantle were able to cover the um, the uh, injury of Sarah uh, Wilstra better than North were able to cover for Kim Rennie going down with a possible concussion. Hopefully both of those players are okay. Um, Rennie went down in the second quarter, and from that point on, it was just like Fremantle dominated. They won the clearances 28-20. They, they struggle North Melbourne scoring against top eight teams. And once again, it was the same thing, especially recently. North Melbourne have really, really struggled. They, t- they kicked a couple of goals against Brisbane. They've kicked a couple of goals against Adelaide. Um, even when they beat Fremantle early this year, they only kicked three goals. Their defence in that game was really, really strong. But Fremantle, they've rediscovered that rich vein of form that they were in earlier in the year after a little bit of a blip on the radar late in the season when they lost to the Crows and they got smashed by Melbourne. It's interesting. North Melbourne, and this is, I think, the major reason why North Melbourne aren't playing in the prelim final compared to someone like Adelaide who's hosting the prelim final. It's not so much the goals kicked against top eight teams, uh, sorry, top six teams. It's goals conceded. So far in 2022, North have conceded 27 goals against fellow finalists, while Adelaide have only conceded 13 against fellow finalists. That's a major difference, I think, for me. How about you, Paddy? How did you see this match? Yeah, I just it's the same thing with North probably most of this year. Their midfield's great. You've got Ash Riddell, who what, 42 disposals um, in limited quarters a couple of weeks ago. Jazz Garner, Emma Carney has been pushed to the back flank, which is incredible to speak about when you've got a league best and fairest winner. Um, so there's not really an issue through the midfield. And I thought their defence has been solid, as you mentioned, this year. It's just up forward. It's just not consistent. Like Emma King's gone down there ever since she started at North. She's played full forward. I think she's better suited in the ruck. I get why they're using her in that role at full forward, but... It's very hit and miss. Daria Bannister is a little bit the same. 
Um, Janelle Cuthbertson for Freo had a field day intercepting and Hayley Miller through the midfield yet again. Kiara Bowers doesn't have a touch in, in the first quarter and then builds into the game and Freo run, run away with it. So this is, you do feel a little bit with North Melbourne that this is as far as they'll get, um, especially when you consider like how how good Adelaide have been this year. You know, Mel, Melbourne, I suppose, as well, come into that um, when we talk about teams on the improve. And North just seemed like that sort of first week of finals, like clockwork. They'll have a good year. They'll smash um they'll smash the teams that are struggling. Um, but when they come up against quality opposition, they they seem to get found out time and time again. So the approach has got to change, I think, um, because this is now becoming consistent for a team that's really got far too much talent on the board to not be winning AFLW finals and to really be making a claim for the premiership but more power to Frio it's been a tumultuous year for them um when you think about teams affected by COVID you know there's there's none there's none bigger than the Dockers this year or through the AFLW rather they probably would have won the flag in 2020 had the season not been canned um and they're probably going to get a decent chance up to um to make a grand final when they come up against a really really impressive Adelaide side in two weeks' time, Casper, because well, I'm sure you want to talk about that, how the, the games have been rescheduled and pushed around. Absolutely. But before we get onto that, let's discuss that matchup, Adelaide versus Fremantle. If Adelaide win, then for a third time in the competition's short history, they will get the right to host a grand final at Adelaide Oval, which is an insane record. If Fremantle wins... We'll have to wait and see whoever wins between Melbourne and whomever they play. Interestingly enough, despite Adelaide being such a scoring juggernaut, the Dockers have actually kicked more goals than them this year, quite comfortably. Ten more goals than Adelaide this year. Fremantle have conceded almost 100 points more, though, than the Crows, though that is slightly skewed because of the fact that they were the first team to concede over 100 points in a game of AFLW. Um, the most stats, these teams are extremely even um, with a couple of exceptions. Fremantle, in terms of tackling department, they are the most dominant tackling side this season. 779 in total for 70.8 per game. Second place, Geelong, sit at 680 tackles or 68 per game. Just to give you an idea of how how strong Fremantle are when it comes to tackling. Adelaide are bottom five for tackling, only 547 or 54.7 per game. Yet, Adelaide are second for disposals, I'm sorry, fourth for disposals overall. So they don't have to tackle that much when they get so much of the footy. This game has been pushed back a week, as you mentioned, Patty. Fremantle potentially losing their ruck for this game. Although having it pushed back a week probably helps them a lot because Wilstra will hopefully recover given that extra week off in time to actually play this, play this prelim final. I just wonder as well how, what the impact would be of having the week off another week without playing competitive football will do for the Crows. Yep. Earlier this year, 
they won a low-scoring game Adelaide against Fremantle by nine points. But get this, Fremantle's defense was great, and I'll tell you why. Adelaide won the inside 50 count by 27, and yet Fremantle restricted them to three goals. I doubt that Fremantle's midfield will be given such a smashing again. And because Adelaide is having such a long break between competitive football, which normally doesn't bode well for teams, I'm calling it early and I'm tipping an upset. Fremantle to win in a yeah. classic by a point. What do you like? Well, yeah, I think that's a really good thing to consider because Adelaide are going to go three weeks without playing a game of competitive football. That's, that's, that's hard work. I think we've probably seen it, I mean, especially in the AFL, where we see that, that singular week off um, between this regular season and finals play dividends for a team that might be injured because they can recover a bit. But when they get that first win in a potentially a qualifying final, then they have another week off. That's essentially what one game in up to like 21, 22 days in some instances. And I th- and you see it, you know, fall flat. So Adelaide have got that issue to worry about because they are going to, when you've got such a short season when, and when you've got that big, massive break forced into it by this COVID situation, you do get concerned. So that Fremantle midfield is going to be the thing. Hayley Miller um, has been just ridiculous this year. Gabby O'Sullivan, Kiara Bowers, um, Beth Antonio is up forward. Gemma Houghton probably going to have a say in things you'd imagine in a prelim. Um, so there's a lot of firepower at Frio. I just do, I think Adelaide have just been the front runners all season. It's hard to tip against them. Um, so I'm, I'm going to, I'll say Adelaide, but really tentatively considering um, the, the break that they've had. But that being said, I don't know how much it'll necessarily matter to Adelaide, especially when Freer will have a week off themselves. So they'll both be a bit rusty. Adelaide will just be relatively more rusty, but only by a week. So they'll still get that week off, quote unquote, week off. Um, it's just that there's, it's two weeks off and, the, and the, their opponent has one. So I'll say, I'll, I'll go at the balancing tip and say Adelaide by about 10 points. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'm looking forward to this one. It should be, should be a ripper. Now, the other qualifying final is supposed to be played on the same day, also on Saturday at the Gabba, Brisbane versus Collingwood. However, a couple of days before the game was due to be played, the news came out that Collingwood was dealing with a massive COVID outbreak and the game was postponed. Yesterday was announced that they would be playing on Sunday, I believe. And the prelim finals and AFLW grand final will be pushed back a week. Now, Patty, I want to ask you, did the AFL and AFLW do the right thing here with how they've handled this outbreak? Yeah. Yeah, they there's not much you, uh, you could really do. It's um, it's a reality of the COVID situation. There's, I mean, y- y- the only way you can really avoid situations where a team potentially gets wiped out by cases is by putting them into a sort of biosecure hub or having all these rules around wh- who they can see, what they can do in their time off. And that's just not conducive to a good competition and to happy players as well. And when you're, when you're thinking that these are, especially with the AFLW, that these women aren't actually you know, probably paid adequately or, mm. you know, they have to take time off their work because they play AFLW. There's a great interview with Ash Riddell on SEN on Thursday night about that. 
um, which is a, worth listening to. Um, so I think that it's it shows good flexibility that they can go, all right, we'll just push it back a week. Um, and I'm glad they have. They haven't forced a sort of Wednesday night, you know, semi-final. Um, and then have t- a team play two games in four or five days or or flood the the competition with VFW players and we end up with a situation like we did with the um the Frio Melbourne game where it's just really one-sided. Um I have got a bit of a unique experience having seen a lot of VFW this season. Um and occasionally you do see you see games where the where a team will be a AFW feeder team and will have their entire side decimated because of COVID, because players need to be called up. And the impact on that at the VFW level and then on the AFW level is quite profound. Um, it's just a standard thing. Um, so I'm I'm glad that both the AFL and the AFLW have you know, prioritised a high standard game of football over just getting that out of the way. Um, and I, th- I think that bodes well. Um, I think it sends the right message. It's a shame, but... Um, I think the Brisbane Collingwood game were really good fun, and I'm I'm personally hoping for a Melbourne Brisbane prelim because um, that, that their game earlier this season was outstanding. So absolutely, but also not to mention the fact that we both don't like Collingwood. Um, Helps, but look, yeah. But look, I think as well. My my main question is perhaps not so much was it the right thing to postpone the game, but should the competition have also postponed the Fremantle North Melbourne? Uh, qualifying final as well because now it's almost like Fremantle is at a disadvantage because they're having an extra time off in between this game and their prelim final if they get through to the grand final what impact is that going to have I don't I don't know I'm just curious what what do you reckon I think yeah it's not ideal but I think you play the games that you can um, especially with COVID um, and unfortunately, it's going to mean that some teams are negatively positioned. I mean, look at West Coast at the moment. Um, they've got, obviously, injury. This is the AFL, AFL I should specify, the, the men's. But, you know, purely because Western Australia was a little bit behind the rest of the country in, in opening up and, and vaccinating, it's meant that they've had their sort of COVID surge a little bit later. And now they've lost you know, a bunch of players for round one as well as their injured players. And they've... You know, they've been the first sort of COVID top-up AFL men's team. So COVID's not a workable situation. You sort of do the best with what you have. So I think I think they've done okay. Ideally, you'd have the, it all happening concurrently, but Fremantle were in Melbourne anyway. You may as well play the game. That, mate, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I, I don't know. I can't help but thinking that they could have pushed the game back a little bit, yeah. regardless of whether or not Fremantle were in Melbourne. Um, yeah, I, I, I understand. I understand that point of view, especially because a lot of the Fremantle players would have work back home that they can't miss out on. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's tricky. It's tricky. I'm glad that I wasn't in charge of that decision. That's mm. for sure. <laughs> now, on to the AFL men's. Basically, dear listener, the way that this is going to work is that we will review round one, what a blockbuster round one it was, lots to talk about on field and off field. We'll each give our top two highlights, top two lowlights. We'll mention new new bit added this year. We'll mention which player surprised us the most. And then normally it will be four main discussion points to come out of the weekend. However, this time... 
I think there are five main discussion points. So we'll discuss five and then we will preview round two. Who's going to win? How much and why? Which game we're most looking forward to? Which game we think is going to be the biggest blowout? Let's start, Patty. Um, you can start off with this one. What were your top two highlights? Yeah, well, I think we've probably seen one of the best weekends for debuts that we've seen in a long time. Because <laughs> um, I was sitting there watching uh, Jack Hayes tear it up and thinking, wow, this is, a, this is a really great story. Everyone was with bated breath awaiting Jason Horn Francis. We had Nick Dacos tear it up on a Friday night in that, in that um, Jack Hayes game as well. And then we hit this sort of ridiculous sort of ethereal portion of the weekend where we had kids on debut kicking five goals. Um, Nick Martin, who I'm sure as an Essendon supporter, you'll, you'll be happy to speak about in, in preference to the result there at the MCG. Um, and then Josh Rochelle, um just absolutely bossing it uh, in Adelaide, which he was just outstanding. I've not really seen anything like that over, over the course of a weekend. Um, Rochelle essentially keeping the Crows in that game. Um, with his just his craft as a as a small forward taking every opportunity. When you compare that to potentially how St Kilda squandered a lot of opportunities in their forward line against Collingwood, um, and you look at this kid from Shepparton with a mullet who just rocks up game one, no worries, have five on you. So that was outstanding. Um, and I, um, for a second note, there's a few really, but I really wanted to mention Matt Rao um, because this is a guy who, in his first three games, had the best ever st statistical start to an AFL career really um, and then hurt himself he didn't really look the same player at the end of last year everyone was a little bit worried and he just went new killer um, against West Coast next to Tuke Miller I mean the, the Miller and Rao combination and Noah Anderson as well they just bossed the Eagles I get the Eagles had a decimated midfield but he looks big, he looks strong, and he really looks really confident, Matt Rao. Um, and to watch him tear up a, a game of footy, it really, when he's only played, I mean, maybe more than a dozen at this rate in his career because of injury, um, it's a relief. And it's it, it's exciting to see the Suns look really good through the midfield. Um, I'm sure you've got some a plethora of highlights to choose from, Casper. So Mate, it, was, it was really, really tricky, really, really tricky to choose these highlights, but I think number one for me, I've got to mention, crowds are back. Full capacity around the country, except in Western Australia, and even Western Australia is 50% full 50% uh, capacity. It's just great to see tens of thousands of people back at the football. You know, 72,000 people Thursday night at the MCG. It sounded like 100,000 people, and it looked like 100,000 people. It was just, mm. it was just great to see I can imagine that the atmosphere was fantastic. Now, the second highlight, I'm going to mention something that Damian Barrett talked about, which I totally agree with. Eight out of the nine games were unpredictable to the point where midway through the last quarter, you did not know who was going to win. And that's exciting. As a neutral supporter, it's exciting to see the fact that you have games not decided up until the very end. And can I mention an honourable highlight? Heath Chapman. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> one of the smartest moves, one of the highest footy IQ moments ever. On YouTube, there are constant compilations of low footy IQ moments. And don't worry, there were plenty of those as well. I'm looking at you, Joe Danaher. 
But Chapman, if there was ever a compilation of high footy IQ moments, that would be right up there, along with the Scarlet Topo in the 2009 Grand Final. And I am serious about that. If, dear listener, you haven't seen the last two minutes of the Adelaide Fremantle game, do yourself a favour. Even if you hate both of these teams, do yourself a favour and watch the end of that because it is what footy is all about. If somebody you know hates footy, show them these final two minutes and tell them if they still hate it, then they are clearly devoid of and incapable of feeling joy. Um, on to the top two lowlights. Now, normally, normally I'll mention my number one lowlight and then I'll mention my number two lowlight. But this time, I think I'll go the other way around. I'll mention my second lowlight first. Now, until about 3 p.m. on Saturday afternoon, I thought for sure that St. Kilda were going to be my number one lowlight. Consider this, Saints. You are honoring Shane Warne. And, and I just before, before I get into the game itself, I think the AFL and its clubs once again did a great job in honoring a legend that has passed. AFL, they they always do a great job at these at these games. And it was great to see Shane Warne's family involved. It was fantastic. Um, and full kudos to everyone involved in that. But you are honoring and arguably playing for your biggest fan, both in terms of how much he loved you and in terms of how well known he was. You are playing on a Friday night, first Friday night of the year, and Friday nights are normally given to teams who deserve it. So the fact that they put St. Kilda Collingwood on a Friday night was certainly very, very interesting, but it meant that the eyes of the country were on you. You were playing the 17th ranked side from last year in a year where you have to prove yourselves a final side for the sake of your coach and for the sake of a lot of the playing group too. Let's be real. Let's be honest, right? A lot of these players are playing for their careers this year, at least at St. Kilda. Collingwood in 2021 kicked 100 points once. And they managed to do it first game of the season. Unbelievable. St. Kilda in 2021 were the second worst team for center clearances last year, only averaging 10.9 per game. You have six months to prepare and to fix your problem areas. And yet somehow you managed to have even less center clearances than your average last year with just nine. You lost the contested possession count by three and the uncontested possession count by 16, and yet also lost the tackle count. I'm going to quote Nick Rewalt here when he said, after the first 15 minutes, he said, the first 15 minutes of your season is probably when you're going to want to show that intensity. And yet Collingwood kicked four out of the first six goals. And then to break your fans' heart by hitting the front early in the last only after being 35 points down, only then to lose. Fremantle and Perth followed by an angry Richmond over the next two games. Good luck with that. Now, I did think that they were going to be the most disappointing team of the weekend. And then I was sitting in Shepparton doing special comments for 
the um, for the Cricket Shepherd and A grade grand final when the commentator Sam Wood is uh, right next to me and he mentions the update of the AFL score and he says for anyone who's interested Geelong 47 Essendon 14 and it's in the first quarter now excuse me Patty but I'm gonna rant here <clears throat> Essendon actually had the most amount of disposals out of any team this this weekend with 408 and yet lost the inside 50 count by 50 and the clearances by 24. We won the hitouts by 12 and yet lost the clearances by 24. We lost the center clearances and the stoppage clearances by 12. We lost, this is the most damning stat out of all these that I'm going to read. We lost the possession, sorry, we lost the, um, the contested possession count by 42, and yet we won the uncontested possession count by 56. <laughs> 56 more disposals we gained by chipping it back and forth like it was a game of kick to kick between a parent and their child in the park on a Saturday afternoon. We had 43 more marks than Geelong. You would have thought that that meant that we could control the ball more, but no, because Geelong had eight more contested marks, 38 scoring shots Geelong to 17. Around the ground by foot, we were 7.1% more accurate. And yet inside 50, Geelong were 15.4% more accurate. What were we doing? What were we possibly doing that we were so scared of getting down, getting dirty, getting gritty? Were we drinking cafe, cafe lattes? Were we carrying around heavy boxes with fragile glassware and stemware in it? Were we carrying our friends' babies and we didn't want to drop them? I'm so, were we, I'm so confused. I am like exceptionally confused at what the hell happened. Were we performing eye surgery and we had to be extremely careful as to not make the person blind permanently? You know, I was in Seymour waiting for my train to Shepparton and I saw lots of bomber supporters getting on the train, heading back to Melbourne that I'd just gotten off of. These people, an hour and a half by train it takes from Seymour to Melbourne. It's not like going to the footy in the city where, you know, you can have, you can do other things around that day. It takes, it's, it's a full day excursion, as I'm sure you are well aware, Patty. It's a full day excursion when you come from the country and you go to the footy in Melbourne. It's a big day event. And yet we took that dedication that the fans showed. We took the hope and we danced on it. The players wiped their backsides with it. 150 years of this club's history we are celebrating this year. 150 years, 16 VFL and AFL flags, Four VFA flags, one of the most dominant clubs in any sport, in any league in Australia. Beware the mighty bombers. And round one, we trail at halftime by 60 points. And you know what really annoys me? Is in the second half, both teams kicked eight goals. And yeah, sure, Geelong probably took their foot off the pedal. Why wouldn't they? They were up by 13 goals. Might as well. 
But still, the fact that we were able to match Geelong and we still lost by 66 points annoys me. Why didn't we show up an hour earlier? Right, Patty, you can go. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm going to struggle to follow that up. Um, yeah, no, no good. It was disappointing. <laughs> I was, I tipped Essendon. I've, I've, I've been telling everyone that I'm going to think, I think they, they were going to finish. So then we'll Carlton finishing top four. Um, and I've, I've picked the wrong the wrong team by the looks of it it was a bit it was a bit of a letdown I, I get there's no Jake Stringer I get they've had a few untimely injuries with um with Harry Jones's ankle and then with Anthony McDonald and Woody being away from the club for a period of time it's not ideal but yeah like you look at like a, as a as myself with my team having lost over the weekend and and I'm thinking well at least we can get down by 10 goals but Geelong are really good. I think it's worth probably mentioning. Like they looked a lot more inspired with their ball movement, which is what we've been harking on about with the Cats for ages. And Essendon did have a lot of the football. But as Richmond has proved recently, you don't need a lot of disposals. You don't necessarily need to dominate the ball um, to win games of footy. Um, Richmond would lose the possession count, pretty much most stat counts, except a few precise ones. Um, because they had their game really fine-tuned. So I think Geelong really actually looked to have figured something out. Yep. But I was expecting more for the Dons. They they promised so much this year. You say all the things about the 150 years in the UK. And they still it still might be, but it is a um it's proof that there is a long way to go. That they'll have, they'll get a few players back. They'll they'll eventually hit a, rent, a rich vein of form. And I thought the return of Caldwell and McGrath like that'll that'll contribute probably to this Essendon midfield being one of the better ones in the competition. It just didn't quite eventuate in round one. So really, really big game against Brisbane. Really big. Um, so we'll see. It's a little bit of an early sort of indicator of where both teams are at. Um, so we'll look forward to that one. What was your, what was your second one like? Uh, it's one that we're probably going to cover in greater detail maybe later, but it's the the, the Luke Beveridge, mm. Tom Morris scenario. And I did want to sort of reference just to get this in. Both things can be true at once. Luke Beveridge's performance in that presser can be pretty abysmal um, and pretty poor. And Tom Morris can also be, and I want to be careful with my phrasing here, in my opinion, a pretty average bloke um, with the way he's acted. And the right action by Fox has been taken to, to terminate his contract. And I really hope this indicates a bit of a, a wider change in footy media, especially from the men that really still dominate it. Um, I can speak from the perspective I worked in one of these enclaves for a little while um the the boys club and it's it's pretty horrific um it's the stuff that gets said very flippantly um very brazen like it's very brazen very there's there's an understanding that there'd be very little consequences for poor action um and no one expects anyone to speak out about it the the thing that makes me really a little bit sad about all this is that we would still be none the wiser um if Tom Morris hadn't have been gone after by Luke Beveridge because someone's been sitting on this tape clearly for some time 
and was just waiting for the opportunity for Morris's name to be thrown up. So that's that's grim because this stuff's clearly been going on for a while. Well, not not clearly been going on for a while. I think it might. It, this seems to indicate that there's been this has happened a while ago, and you know we've we've had this whole you know we've had the whole AFLW season. We've had a, a great summer of female cricket, and the flagship broadcaster, that its main journalist, is going around saying stuff like this, and but the main like a message if you're a, if you're a young person and, and you're a, and i'm you know i've done stupid things we've all done stupid things um not quite to this extent that tom morris has, has done but if you're going to do a stupid thing and you're going you're ending up in the position where you can't stop it from happening and you're, you're doing this stupid thing a really good idea is not to stick a a microphone or b a video camera or video phone in front of your face while you do said stupid thing well said <laughs> I, I just don't, I, you can say we've all said things that we regret and done things we regret and then thought, thank God that no one heard me say that or saw me do that. General rule, if, if you don't want your grandmother reading it back to you or saying it back to you, probably don't say it. Um, and there's a difference between like this, this ridiculous sort of locker room talk stupidity that we see from young men is is really poor but just how why on earth would you tape yourself saying that like just like the the action and the thought is stupid enough is ridiculous and wrong enough as it is but how how privileged and how like you know butter wouldn't melt do you think you are to just decide now i'm going to say this and send it to a group chat with 10 or 15 or however many of my closest mates in there and it will all be fine no, I, it just it strikes me as a really depressing attitude that that's been had here there but um yeah look we could talk about this all day and i'll try not to but the, the main point that i want to make with the lowlights is that Luke Beveridge's behaviour was out of order and I think the statement from the Bulldogs and the action afterwards was excellent and exactly what needed to happen. Um, and that's an entirely separate issue to what came out about Tom Morris the next day, um, which indicates a whole other problem for me. Mate, I, I agree with you with the Tom Morris situation. I was gobsmacked um, and I listened I listened to the audio because it made its, it made its round around... Um, around social media and I listened to it and um yeah it's appalling it's absolutely yeah absolutely, yeah. absolutely disgusting um yep. and I think Tom Morris himself admitted as much on on Twitter but it always it always annoys me whenever I see these apologies it's it's always annoys me because if why did you do it in the first place yeah no, it yeah. seems like if you were truly, if you're truly sorry, why, why would you do it to begin with? Um, yeah. But yeah, it was just absolutely shocking, um, and it's really disappointing to see that some people don't don't ever grow up out of that, you know, inappropriate phase yeah. teenage mentality. Um, yeah. And I, I just feel really sorry for the um, for the female journalist mentioned. Um, really, 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 really sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not not only was she sexualized by someone that she's worked with um and she, i don't know if she's had any idea that he thought this way about her but nevertheless 
if she did or if she didn't, I can't imagine what that would feel like, you know, that someone you've been working with for so long feels that way about you and is saying these things about you. Um, also, if she if she wasn't out, um, yep. Yep. then that's even worse. Yeah. Horrible, it, horrible it, situation. And again, like just before, just as a last thing, but because I will, <laughs> it, yeah. The, but the responsibility is again on this and I suppose I, I feel comfortable about saying her name now because she's come out and made a statement but Megan Barnard um it's on she's all of a sudden that the responsibility shifts to her to make a statement about this and that's just horrific like you've had your colleague come out and say these pretty disgusting things about you in the media and then once again it's it's on the person who's been victimized um and really poor really treated really poorly to um to forward that education and again like we've got this this situation where a marginalized community and it's not the exact same situation it's definitely not the same situation as for instance the, the taylor walker and robbie young incident but in that circumstance we saw tony armstrong deliver a great monologue about it's always on the indigenous community to talk about racism afterwards eddie betts was great on this as well and i think that it's not it's obviously not the same issue but once again, it's just boys club behaviour and women in sports media once again have to bring forward that education and they would be exhausted. So it's on the blokes now. So if, if you're a bloke and you're listening, um, yeah, if, you've, if you're, you've got, you might have a, you and your mates just have a yarn about it, figure it, because it's an attitude problem. Um, and the only way it's going to get fixed is that if people enter those newsrooms and change the culture. So... That's the hope. That's what we want to get to. Mate, we need we need to get you in a newsroom as quickly <laughs> as as quickly as possible. I will just ask this though. It's interesting. One point that Luke Beveridge brought up was that since Tom Morris is a Melbourne supporter, uh, oh no, his conflict of interest is considerable. To quote what Luke Beveridge said, now this is interesting because I've seen, I know Nat Edwards as another AFL journalist um, who is quite open about it, who, who she supports in the Hawks. She, you know, whenever she reports on the Hawks, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that, you know, oh, what about conflict of interest? What about conflict of interest? Eddie Maguire used to commentate Collingwood games all the time. James yeah. commentating North Melbourne games all the time. You see former players commentate games of the clubs that they used to play for. You've seen Nick Rewalt doing comments yep. and saying Kilda games and Cameron Ling, you know, as boundary rider at Geelong games. My point is, I think that's a ridiculous comment. Yeah. yeah. Just because someone supports a team that they have, you know, oh, it's conflict of interest, the fact that they're reporting on them. If they're a good journalist, if they're a good journalist, They'll put that conflict of interest aside. And you you and I both know this being journalism students. No matter what the situation is, we always put personal biases aside, whatever, whatever the situation is. Yep. And the yep. fact that Luke Beveridge has tried to use that as a point of attack, honestly, what he should worry about more, Patty, is the fact that, and we'll go on to the second main talking point of the weekend, the fact that they don't tag opposition midfielders Oh, yeah. Now, now, I'm going to throw some stats. I think I disagree with you on this one. but I'm going to throw some stats at you, and this might make you change your mind. Listen to these statistics, right? Grand final day, 2021. Christian Petrarca, two goals, one behind from 39 disposals. 
three marks, four tackles, nine clearances, two goals assists, one of the goals of the year from the boundary, and the Norm Smith to go with the Premiership medal. Christian Petrarca, round one, 2022, 2021 grand final replay. Two goals won from 38 disposals, eight marks, two tackles, nine clearances, and one goal assist. That is insane how similar those statistics are. Both times, Petrarca has gone absolutely ballistic on the dogs. And in both games, the dogs just left everything, left the entire field open for him to do whatever he wanted. Stephen May reportedly asked the dog's opponent towards the end of Wednesday night, are you guys going to do something about him? Are you guys going to tag him or something? And the response was, nah, we don't tag. But my question is to you, Patty, is surely Petrarca is not going to be the only opposition midfielder that's going to take the dog's limit, you know, the fact that they don't tag and take that opportunity as a green light to do whatever they want on the football field. Surely yeah. the dogs should tag. I don't know. I think there's teams that it fits, teams that it doesn't. Um, and I think with the dogs, their midfield, their strength comes from their midfield because they've got about 14 of the buggers. Like you got Bomb, McRae, Liberatore, Bailey Smith. Well, exactly. But the, but that's my point. You can you can you can have one of those Dunkley. players follow around an opposition midfielder for a game. Yeah, but I feel like you you lose. I feel like you lose the offensive impact because the dogs, and they knew this when they got Trelaw, when as soon as they put that player in, they became a very top-heavy midfield team. And we knew that you know, that was going to be their main avenue to go. I mean, you look at how their defence has looked previously, how their forward line looks. That's not really their fault because of the Josh Bruce ACL. But this is a midfield-centric team. And without their midfield getting probably like five to six goals between all those players, they're probably not going to win games of footy. And they do kick five to six goals. But I, I think there's a double-edged sword. Number one is that the Dogs don't really have a player, I think maybe aside from Liberatore, who can fit that negating inside role. Um, and I think Liberatore is better suited to that like hard line, 20 touches, 10 clearances role than, than a run with. And the second thing is, is Petrarca might be the second, I think maybe behind Bondompelli, but he might be the second best or, for, or even the best player in the AFL at the moment. I actually think he's probably, you know, on pure form, he's the best player in the AFL at the moment. Um, we saw it when Martin was at the peak of his powers. We saw it when Ablett was at the peak of his powers. It's really hard to take the player who's currently like bossing it, which he is, and he has been. So. If you're going to tag, I think that, and it does happen now a little with Matty DeBoer, where he goes instead of to a guy like he wouldn't go to Petrarca or Dusty or Marcus Bont, well, maybe not Marcus Bontepelli, he'd go to McRae, he'd go to Clayton Oliver, he'd go to Dion Prestia. And he has done that in the past because you're stopping the ball at the source. Petrarca can go forward because if you put DeBoer on him, he'll just go to full forward. And if you put DeBoer on him one on one on the forward line, I know who I'm backing. And it's Christian Petrarca every day of the week. If you take DeBoer off him, he probably goes into the midfield and starts winning contested possessions. So to be honest, I, I think you're stuffed both ways. You have to have a plan for what you're going to do. You can't just let them him run rampant. But a hard tag doesn't work, I think, for those players. Then we move into the specific Bulldogs example. Um, I think if, ever, if there ever comes a point where you've got 
Liberatore, for instance, is a good example where his role doesn't really fit within that Bulldogs midfield just because there's too many. Maybe Bailey Smith, because he did look really good, is is starting to push into that sort of A-grade level and you need to get him more midfield minutes. Then maybe you move, you turn Liber into a tagger. Maybe you do that. But I just don't think with how their skill as a team works and as a team that were 20 points up in the third quarter of the grand final last year that you have to make a drastic change to your midfield just yet. I think we we need to probably, as an AFL community, also accept just how far ahead of the rest of the competition Melbourne are. Because, I mean, like Ben Brown looks like he, he was going to win the Coleman again for the first half on Wednesday night. Petrarca is ready to win another normie. Clayton Oliver's still Clayton Oliver. Their defence is impenetrable, even without, pardon me, Jake Lever, Max Corn and Luke Jackson. Like, come on. That is not fair. So... Look, it's an interesting discussion, and um, Luke Beveridge knows his his team intimately. But I do think that we should hold off on the knee jerk re tagging probably for a little bit longer, maybe until we see these teams play again later in the year. Mate, yeah, you're right. The dogs were twenty points up in midway through the third quarter, and but they lost they by ten goals, into, <laughs> and then they turned into home styles for the yeah, rest of the game. Yeah. The rest of the game, they competed 100 points to seven. And almost all those goals came out of midfield center clearances. Yep. I don't know. I just think it, it almost reminds me of back when Nathan Buckley in 2018 said that Tom Mitchell wasn't hurting us when he was getting like 40 and 50 touches every single game. But here's the difference. Hawthorne weren't good enough to comfortably beat Collingwood consistently. Collingwood won a couple of those games despite Tom Mitchell getting 40 or 50 touches. So, you know, I can kind of see where Buckley's coming from. If Beveridge thinks that Petrarca isn't hurting them with his 39 touches, <sighs> then I'm sorry, but he is, he's delusional. He's delusional. Now, speaking of Thursday night football, big crowd back, not quite as big as the AFL was hoping for. I remember Gillen McLaughlin saying that he was hoping to break the all-time AFL home and away record for a match, which, by the way, is 99,000 people back in the 1950s between the then powerhouse clubs, Melbourne and Collingwood. Now you have the two powerhouse clubs opening the season, grand final replay. Fans have been calling out for grand final replay in round one. Finally, it's not Richmond versus Carlton, no offense, to start the season. And yet only 58,000 people showed up. And when you did get Carlton versus Richmond, a game that normally draws 80,000 people or so, you only had 72,000. In Sydney, the AFL scheduled the Giants versus Swans clash at Accor, 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 whatever, however you pronounce it, stadium, probably because it can host up to 60,000 people. Only 25,000 showed up. Now, I want to ask you, Patty, is this something the AFL needs to worry about? SEM thinks so, but yeah. is it something the AFL needs to worry about? Is it a blip on the radar? And if it is a blip on the radar, when will we see the big pre-pandemic crowds like we did in 2019? Well, I think it's a um, it's also a Wednesday night issue because... I, if we're going to take out the, prim, the the grand final replay element of Wednesday night, 
I mean, for this example, I'll just talk through these examples. Um, you've got two clubs with a traditionally really pretty small membership base. Yes, it's a grand final replay, but it, they do have small membership bases. Um, during the school year, on a Wednesday night, and yes, it's a round one opener, but that's a big effort for a lot of people to get to a game midweek. Wednesday night, you've got a lot of things on. I mean, for me as a young, as a young kid, that was footy training night. Or as I as I got, went through high school, it was the you know the night that you'd stay back to do after after school training for whatever school sport you were doing, or like it goes on and on and on. A lot of stuffs on a lot of stuffs on Wednesday night. It's hard to get people to midweek games. I think you should have midweek games or like Thursday Wednesday night. You should be using those times. But don't expect that you get a capacity crowd. Same goes for Thursday. Um, and then you've got the wider crowd argument that comes into it. And I, I agree with SEN. I think there's an issue because what happens now is that we're not really post-COVID, but like mentally we're approaching that sort of like, well, is I'm not worried about getting as, as worried about getting the virus anymore if you're a triple vax or so on and so forth. But it's hard to get to the football because it's expensive. Um, you know, you've got a you've got a train or drive in. You've got to park your car. You've got to pay the, you know, like if you're getting a general admission, you're paying thirty bucks to sit at tier three MCG and not really get a great view of the game, not really get much atmosphere. So, I think if the AFL really wants to see those ridiculously high crowd numbers, they've got to work hard to get them back. Because, I mean, I'll tell you bluntly. There's games where I look at where I'll pay a $30 entry fee and I'm thinking, well, I pay X amount of money a month for a KO subscription anyway. I can sit in my in my room and watch that watch that game of footy and get a better view of the game and save some save some coins. So you've got to make it affordable, especially for a, a group of people that will like younger people who will, you know, see that as a day out going to the footy. Um, make that an affordable. affordable choice so market rather than just going i'll build it and they will come because actually build it and they might actually just just watch it at home because they've been doing that for the last two years anyway habits are hard to break so you they've got to come to the table with that one um i do think that the the sydney example is a little bit difficult because there is a, a quote-unquote growth market for the afl they have to work on on getting those crowds there um I do also think that the, the sort of back, backlash, well, the, the ongoing sort of Omicron BA2 issue is also going to cause some issues with people wanting to probably stay at home to not try and have a forced week in isolation. No one really wants to get COVID. Um, but, yeah, I think the, it's a hard balance to strike, but the AFL, I think food prices, ticket prices, even like seating and like QR codes, just make it easy for people to come to the footy if you want them to come to the footy. If you're going to talk about breaking records, then make it easy for people to break the record. Don't make all these hoops to jump through. I was hearing from people at the Richmond Carlton game, just the last thing I'll say, I promise, but um, who were going off to get some food at halftime and the the place is understaffed. You know, they're waiting 30 minutes to get... Uh, like a, a pie and that's not that's not really good enough because but eventually that, but sorry but is that the afl's yeah. problem or is that the end yeah. problem i think it's the afl's problem because if they if the, if they want people to come to the footy ultimately it's up to them the, the they can say to the mcg hey we're going to throw x amount of subsidies at you for you, to, for you to put on extra staff we'll help you out here i'm not exactly sure how that industrial relation works but it's got to be 
a good day and an easy day coming to the football or as easy as you can possibly make it. Look, I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, can the AFL somehow, because I'm sure that the MCG, if they could have extra staff on hand or if they could have their full rostered amount of staff, they would have had. I don't think, you know, it's a problem about, you know, whether or not throwing extra money at, at potential staff. I don't think that's the problem. You know, it could be a problem with the fact that some of them don't want to get vaccinated or some of them don't want to come to work and deal with tens of thousands of people, you know, in close, in close confines. So I'm not sure it's the AFL's responsibility and the AFL is responsible for many things. I think any staffing problem at Marvel Stadium, because I'm pretty sure the AFL owns yeah. Marvel Stadium, I think that's a fair call. But MCG, I'm just not too sure because I think that actually that responsibility is actually on the MCG. I do agree that Wednesday night football, and I get you don't want to lose the Carlton versus Richmond Thursday no, night. I'll get rid of it. Get rid of it. We're no good anymore. <laughs> I was about to say what you could have done is you could have pushed Carlton Richmond onto Friday night and have Thursday night Western Bulldogs versus Melbourne. And you might not have gotten 90,000 or 100,000 like you wanted, but you would have gotten a hell of a lot more than 58,000. Because Thursday night works in terms of getting big crowds. Like, always get a big crowd for Carlton versus Richmond. Put Carlton versus Richmond on Friday night. You'll get an even bigger crowd for that. And that way, you still get four Saturday games instead of uh, four, four Saturday games instead of just the three, which was weird. And weird only having three games on Saturday. I'm not sure if I liked it. But let's discuss, oh, before we get on to Thursday night. Look, I don't think it's that big of a problem. You know, I think people perhaps are a little bit apprehensive to come back to the footy, but they'll come back. I'm, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they'll come back. Look, maybe it's just because I am an internal optimist. That's not true. I'm, I'm very, very pessimistic most of the time. But when it comes to footy coming back, AFL is it's not like rugby league or rugby union where you can watch it on TV and you can understand everything that's happening because all the players are lined up in a, in a row so you can see everything. Footy, you got to go to in order to get the full experience. You know, it's a 3D experience going to the footy. Yeah. And but... tier three is great because you can see the whole ground. I always love sitting in tier three at the MCG. Yeah. I mean, I'll, for me, like I'm a footy nut, I'll go. But I'm, I'm more saying it from the perspective that if you're, it's not no longer the only option for for a lot of people because, especially in Victoria, the, we have the footy festival to remember. We have nights where you know there were no crowds allowed, but you could you know watch it with your family or you could have like a mate, a single mate over whatever. Are those COVID restrictions? Um, and I think a lot of streaming services came to the table and provided a lot of options for people to get involved. And it's hard to break those habits. And I think that the reality is, is that a lot of those games that the sort of like the Hawthorne North Melbourne one, like a Saturday afternoon at the MCG, that would have been a game that I would have gone to a couple of years ago if I had the afternoon off, because, you know, not, not a massive crowd, you know, watch a few rookies play in, in see them in person, etc. But, it is now easier than it has ever been to watch a f- football game from home. And if not, and if you're not just watching the game, then you can watch a KO mini 
which has like a nice, succinct 15, 20-minute highlight package. If you've only got 10 minutes, you can watch the AFL highlights package. If, you, if you're in an audio rush, there's audio, audio packages that you can hear on SoundCloud. You know what I mean? There's more content. There's more digital content than ever before, which makes it more and more easy to access the football and know more about the football, but not actually have to go. Not a, and that's, I think, a little bit of a challenge for... I mean, whoever it may be to work through, because you've got to say to people, no, 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 this is still the A plus experience because people have gone two years without it. it like 2021, people went for a little bit, but that we were still threatened by COVID. We're still getting, te- we're still getting, you know, PCR tested every couple of days when we had a sniffle. Um, you know, pe- those habits have to be broken somehow. And I don't think you just, I personally don't think you're just going to do it by just going back to 2019 and pretending like we're just resuming service after a couple of years off. Because I've, I've certainly changed the way how I view sport in, in those years. So I can't speak for my, my family back home. Well, I suppose I can a little bit, but they've changed their membership. Now they don't really go to the away Melbourne Richmond games as much. We used to go to every single Melbourne Richmond game like located in Melbourne, not Melbourne v Richmond, located in Melbourne, we were there. And it's it's different now because it's like, well, you know, we, we, we're going to be, you know, we're not going to be sitting in, in our optimal seats. We can just watch it from home and save some, save some money on it. That's how people are looking at it. But I suppose that's my echo chamber, but that's the perspective that I've got. But anyway. Yeah, it's fair call, mate. Fair potato, potato. Fair call, mate. Now, Thursday night, I want to ask you your opinion of this as a Richmond supporter. Let me throw some more stats at you, right? Round one, 2021. Richmond versus Carlton. Richmond had 34 more inside 50s than Carlton. They won the clearances by six, the center clearances by nine, more contested possessions, more marks inside 50, and more tackles. Six more tackles, four more tackles inside 50. Fast forward a year. Carlton win the disposal count by 57, 20 more inside 50s, 18 more clearances, two more center clearances, 21 more contested possessions, one more mark inside 50 and 10 more tackles. Get this, 14 tackles to one inside 50 mm-hmm. in favor of the Blues. And I want to ask you this as a Richmond supporter, was Thursday night a changing of the guard? Great question. Um, yeah, it was. It was Thank a game. You. I came up with it myself. <laughs> it was a game. So I actually missed this game um, because I'd booked in a concert with my with my partner before the fixture came out, and then the fixture came out, and I've gone, oh no. So I've I've sort of seen it in retrospect. Um, I personally think it is if i have to make a decision i personally do think it is i do think that we have to wait we have to sort of give richmond the benefit of the doubt at least for the first couple of weeks of the season um see how they've responded because they didn't look awful like for three quarters they play that sort of richmond style where they don't really dominate possession they don't really like you don't see anything in the stats that are saying richmond are winning but shea bolton's kick three they're up by 20 points whatever and they, they had seven goals to one kicked on them in the last quarter. When you consider that this is a team that also didn't have Nick Floston, Jack Graham was half fit, Dylan Grimes has just had thumb surgery, Toby Nankervis was in COVID protocols till the day before. Um, you know, Dan Pressy does his hammy in the second quarter. There's a lot of missing pieces, but there's only going to be more missing pieces now because the aforementioned Pressy and now Jack Reholt's done a thumb. 
like there are a lot of contributing factors, but then you say, okay, Carlton, so Carlton, let's have a look at them. Their best player, Sam Walsh, isn't playing, right? And I get they've brought in a lot of really good players, but when you're playing a team without Sam Walsh, a Carlton team without Sam Walsh, you're going to fancy your chances more. So I think we have to probably wait a little bit on Richmond before we call it. But as a, as a Richmond supporter who's watched a lot of Tigers footy over the years, who's watched a lot of how we've played, uh, how Richmond have played, indicating how where they're at, I think I think Richmond finished lower on, on the ladder than the Blues this year. I think they do because Carlton are really good. Let's, that midfield has finally clicked and it's it's bloody frightening. Like Patrick Cripps is either he was either injured or he had too much to do because now he's unburdened and he is, I mean, he's prime Michael Voss now. How did that happen? Um, you know, George <laughs> okay. Hewitt, Carlton had this amazing storied, desperately grim history of, of picking guys who've been okay at other clubs and then them coming to Carlton and just sputting it up. Like right? as recently as potential, like, and this is a bit harsh, but Adam Saad, underwhelming, Zach Williams, underwhelming, Jack Martin, underwhelming, Mitch McGovern, underwhelming, All right, those four guys. And now they're really good. Now George Hewitt and Adam Chera come in and they're really, really good. Matthew Kennedy's been on this list for forever. And all of a sudden he's a 33 possession, getting goal kicking, attacking midfielder. It, it's all worked um, for them against Richmond. And Michael Voss looks like he's figured it out. He's unlocked this Carlton midfield juggernaut without their best player in it. So I think Carlton are going to be incredibly good this year. I think they have every – the limit on Carlton is their event, if they implode or not. I look at this team and I have the same opinion as Damien Howard, which is 2017 Richmond. And because you look at their forward line and all of a sudden it's a three-pronged, three-pronged monster and they've found two clever, high-tackling, ta- high high-pressure and really hard-working small forwards in Owies and Durden who both kick goals and contributed to that tackles inside 50 number that you mentioned. So I think we probably take more out of Carlton than Richmond on this game. Um, but I think that this Sunday's game against you at the MCG it's another changing of the guard moment. Richmond hadn't lost in round one again. Well, that Carlton game that opened or was in round two of the season for since 2012. They've also never lost to GWS, the MCG. And on Sunday, I think they will. Um, so look, let's hold, let's hold off on Richmond for maybe one more podcast um, because we'll know more um, next week. But let's talk about Carlton, mate. They, are, they look good. Well, unfortunately, I'm going to talk about both. Yeah, uh, Richmond, they looked, and I'm going to try and be polite to you because you're one of you're one of my good friends, and you're, you know you're dedicating your time out of your busy schedule to be on the podcast, and I appreciate it. But Richmond looked terrible. Yeah, I'll, I'll fully admit that they looked absolutely shocking. And everyone, everyone, I never understood everyone beforehand, you know, preseason saying, "Oh yeah, Richmond top four top four mm. turn to the top four some were saying oh they'll make the grand final again a couple of people were saying oh yeah they'll win the premiership i never understood that never ever ever understood that mate i've got to say you are probably one of the most realistic richard supporters <laughs> i've ever seen now now in 2012 pessimism Carlton, never dies <laughs> Carlton, even with three premierships in four years goodness gracious me um 
Carlton in 2012 won three, uh, their first three games of the year, including they beat Brisbane by 91 points in round two. And in round three, they beat Collingwood, who in 2010, just two years earlier, won the premiership and the year before finished as the uh, reigning grand finalists. They beat them in round three by 60 points. So they had a, you could not get better, a better start to the 2012 season for Carlton. And yet they ended up missing finals. So just keep a lid on it for the moment, Carlton supporters. And I'm saying that more so just because I just don't want you guys to make finals. Um, but yeah, no, just a dominant, scary, scary, scary midfield. Speaking of a scary situation, which team can least afford a loss this weekend, St. Kilda or Essendon? And Paddy, I, will gladly, I will gladly let you start with this one. St. Kilda. Um, now, Essendon... If you lose by 10 goals, I think in round one, it's a bit of a wall what really happened there um, because something didn't work. And I think they've got players out. So you sort of go, all right, they need to regroup. I think they've got a, a bit of a free hit against Brisbane, to be honest. If they lose, it's not great. But um, I know it's a massive game, but they're not, they weren't going to start favourites probably in this one unless they really smashed along um, because Brisbane have been one of the better teams in the competition. They've had you know, essentially three top four regular season finishes in a row. And then that's only translated to winning one final, which is a bit a bit grim, but that's okay. Um, so they weren't going to start favourites anyway. St Kilda's the issue because we had questions on them before the season. Um, we were thinking, okay, Jack Steele's really the only A grader. How good's Max King going to be? How's that sort of midfield group around them? And yes, they've also got players out. But there's a big difference to losing to Geelong, who made the top four last year and have been a perennial contender in round one, then to losing to Collingwood, who have new coach, basically, you know, they've got all these young players. They've, they've, they're, they're taking a playing the kids role. And they've, you know, they, they looked really good. They made St Kilda look, they made Jack Hayes on debut look like one of St Kilda's best players. And that's concerning because if it's not Jack Steele for St Kilda, then who is it? Because I, I don't know. I'm asking this question because there doesn't seem to be an outstanding player who's saying, yep, no, I can, I can take the role. And there's a lot of issues which over the offseason I thought they would have worked on, which they haven't, like Jack Higgins. I love Snags um, for his time at Richmond, but he's gone from this sort of high-energy goal sneak, you know, incredibly smart player at, at Richmond and in a little bit at St Kilda last year as well, who could create opportunities out of nothing, maybe not a great set shot, but he could certainly just conjure magic. And he burnt the Saints. He had Jade Gresham running into an open goal and just looked past him. Like the guy just seemed, his goal kicking has regressed year on year. This is a guy who had every chance of becoming a really, really good small forward who has just not got there and he's just like he's another b grader dan butler's the same you know he had this amazing first year at the saints and what and he's not really done much since so they've got a list chock full of okay players and the the okay players need something to happen to them for them to take their team further look at carlton you know look look what carlton has has done with with a guy like george hewitt in, in his first game um so brett ratton will be filling the shadow of Alistair Clarkson being unemployed at this time right now. Um, and if they, if they get done this week as well, 
against a Frio team that only won by a point, only got through from, from a spoil from Chapman. And they do maybe Darcy and Fife. I don't know if Fife will be back, but Darcy might be. But if they get done by Frio, I think there's a, there's a lot of issues there. And we, you, you start to really feel the heat at St Kilda again. You know, and that's that's a shame. Again and again and again. Well, you know what? It's interesting. I think there are two different ways you can look at this, right? You look at Essendon having a really, really tough opening first three games, and you think, yeah. well, after that first round performance, they could easily see themselves zero and three. And then after that, you know, they have a slightly easier run after that. But geez, that's a tough hole to dig yourself out of. But you could also have a look at it at St. Kilda. And here's the reason why I'm also saying St. Kilda. It's partially because I don't want to keep talking about how bad Essendon was. But St. Kilda's opening 10 games, you looked at it before the season started. And they were, with the exception of maybe two, I think round eight and round nine, they played Melbourne and Geelong. With the exception of those two games, every single one of them were very winnable. They would have been looking at the opening four or five games and thinking, we're a chance here, start the year 4-0 and or 5-0. and And so to lose a game like that against Collingwood, when you have a yeah. really tough, tough, tough end to the season, this is when you need to be banking wins now as a club. Yep. And they're playing Fremantle, who were almost a goal-better team in Perth last year. And Optus Stadium has not been a happy hunting ground for St. Kilda. Let's admit, don't think they've won there yet. They did come close against West Coast last year, but close enough is not good enough in this competition. You don't get given participation medals just for showing up to a game. For those reasons, and I do agree with you that with the exception of Hayes and maybe Steele, all their other players look at best just okay. Like Essendon had a really off day, but at our best, we have 10 great players. Yeah. Nate Kilda, they've got one consistently great player in Jack Steele, and that's it. And you can't keep relying, as you said, on a debutante to do that every single week. Yeah. No. And like, it's again, like the Essendon example, you're thinking Parrish, Merritt. Sam Draper's, you know, on the trajectory, Jordan Ridley, that's, that's a beautiful, beautiful spine. Andy McGrath, Dyson Heppel's kind of still there. Jai Caldwell's on the trajectory, Jake Stringer, we don't even have to talk about. And as you say, it's just still. And, you know, you look at the list and you say, which St Kilda player is going to improve rapidly and take the next step? Max King? Okay, there's one. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, that's it for me. Like, I, and I'm not trying to be harsh, and I'm not having trying to have a go. But they've just got this list of, you know, he's not a. This is a. This is again a bit a bit harsh, but I think it sort of exemplifies what's gone on with the Saints. Dean Kent played that on that Friday night, and I get they have a lot of injuries, but he'd be late twenties now, um, and you're telling me that there's no young player that they've got who's improving who they can play in that role. You know, it's the same. I think Richmond had the same issue where you were seeing Jake Arts play a lot of footy last year and then played round one this year. You're telling me that there's not going to be, that, that there's no young player available that can take that role and develop. You know, so that's sort of, uh-oh, uh, areas for me. I think that's, 
that's indicative of a team that doesn't that knows it's not really got any sort of talent coming through and it's just trying to to make this sort of run of trying to make the bottom half of the eight last for as long as possible and that is because they their list on paper is built to win the premiership now yep and it won't like you look at Essendon and you can see the fact that unless you make Malthouse, you're not thinking we're winning the premiership this year right you're not thinking we're winning the premiership this year and yeah no true weirder things have happened right and we are the club with the you know baby bombers and all that but we're not built to win a premiership this year and if we do we are peaking far too early and we are due for a massive letdown in 2023 we are built to potentially at best challenge for finals at best make finals at this stage i think you know after and it's partially because we got smashed in round one but I'm struggling to think that we'll win a final this year. But that's, you know, partially okay with the exception of, you know, the drought continuing because that's, you know, we're not built to win finals just yet. Right. Our bodies need to get bigger. We need to get more experienced and that's okay. You know, we will, we will, and we'll get more consistent. St. Kilda are built to play in grand finals and to win premierships now. And they are not doing that. And they sacrificed a lot of opportunities to get young players through the draft through getting players like Kemp and Hanabry and all these other players from clubs that truthfully, and it's a harsh word to use, but they have been duds. They've been duds. They have. So, yeah, I think St Kilda, especially this weekend, Essendon playing Brisbane, the team that I think will win the premiership this year. Yeah, true. It's not, as you said, it's not great if we lose, but, you know, I think as long as Joe Danaher doesn't kick a bag on us, I think that most Essendon supporters will be okay with losing as long as we show heart. But um, if St Kilda lose to Fremantle, oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That seat under Ratton's backside is going to get exponentially hotter. Yeah. Like the devil is the devil is just starting to turn up the thermostat just a little bit. Now, on to round two. You thought round one was big. Round two is set to be dead set massive, and it starts on a huge Thursday night, Western Bulldogs versus Carlton. Now, if it's all right, Patty, I think I'll start with this one. Both teams, uh, now Carlton, if you just look at the stats, and I don't know if it's useful looking at the stats after just one game, but Carlton are leading most key areas over the dogs quite comfortably. Right, all signs are pointing towards Carlton being two and zero for the first time since Barack Obama's first term as president, and everyone was worried about the Mayan prediction of the world ending in December 2012. You remember that December 21st, 2012? Ah, oh, goodness, good times, good times. Anyways, Carlton chaos with COVID though, and I just wonder, I just wonder if that's going to throw them a little bit. And there's going to be one key stat that I think is going to be playing on the dog's mind. And that is that North Melbourne in 1999 was the last team to start the year with two straight losses and win the premiership. Mm. No team has come even close. Truthfully. Oh, no, that's a lie. Collingwood almost did it in 2018. But if you want to win the premiership, you have to win at least one game during your first two. That's what recent history has shown. Because of that and because of the Carlton COVID chaos, and because the dogs are going to want to bounce back because they have more experience, because they have better players than Carlton, I think I think the dogs are going to win. It's going to be a great game, high scoring, 
It's at Marvel Stadium, where the dogs rarely lose. Bulldogs by 10 points. Yeah, good get. Uh, this will be a great game. I'll be, I'll be excited to watch this one. I, I'm tipping the dogs just, um, but this will be goal for goal. Um, either way, a dead set thing, just, just of how up and about Carlton are at the moment, um, that it's close. And I think they've got a pretty good recent history against the dogs. I think if Bontempelli plays with that sort of sprained ankle, if he do, actually, I think more so if he doesn't play, I think I'll tip Carlton just because they've got a lot of momentum. I'll go dogs by a couple of points, but that, that tip's going to swing side to side throughout the week. Yeah, no, fair enough. See, that's, that's the disadvantage of doing the podcast so early in the week before teams come out. Um, now, on to Friday night, and what a game this promises to be. SCG blockbuster. Sydney versus Geelong. Will Buddy kick his thousands? Now, Paddy, can the Swans pull off the upset here? Um, I don't think so. I think Buddy will kick his thousands, but I, I think the Cats just looked streets ahead of where we were expecting them to be on Saturday. Um, and I think they'll probably back it up. They historically like those small grounds as well. SCG is certainly one of those. Um, I'll back the Cats probably by a couple goals, but um, I think this will be a good game. It sort of does remind me of being you know, the 2013, 2000, like 2011, 2014, 15 games where the Geelong-Sydney game at the SCG was always a good game of footy to watch because they were quite similar. Um, I'll back the Cats. I don't rate the Swans as highly as, as some others, but they were good against the Giants. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a team that that won by ten goals over the weekend. You know, sorry, Casper. You, know, you know what? That's okay. It's interesting though. There's just something about a team coming off a smashing and then playing a fellow Premiership contender. That's right. I'm calling the Swans a Premiership contender this year, who themselves are coming off a close and hard fought win. That says to me that a team coming off a smashing is going to struggle to adjust playing into a harder opponent. And yeah, you're right. They did. They won by 66 points, but who are they playing? Red and black witches hats. The Swans are not going to be red and white witches hats. And I just think with the opportunity to win in, in a game where Buddy could potentially kick its Salmon's goal, it's going to be too, too good for the Swans to give up. Keep in mind as well, Sydney was supposed to lose to Geelong at the SCG last year too, and trailed by five goals during the game. Mm-hmm. Instead, Tom Papley. See, that's what's dangerous about Sydney. If it's not Buddy, it's Tom Papley. It's not Tom Papley, it's McDonald. It's not McDonald, it's Golden. It's not Golden. It's Parker, for crying out loud. Yeah, five goal, Lukey. How'd that happen? It's Ollie, it's, it's Ollie Florent looking like Buddy with his haircut. <laughs> I don't know. I'm tipping Swans by a goal. I could easily, I easily see Geelong win, but I just think the Swans with the faster, younger bodies will be too good for Geelong. Now, this game is interesting. Coming off of two teams that impressed us a lot in round one, Collingwood versus Adelaide Saturday afternoon at the MCG. I think Collingwood win by eight point, eight points. Yeah, Collingwood leading a lot, uh, leading Adelaide comfortably uh, in every single statistic so far. The thing that impressed me the most, because both midfielders, both both midfielders are really young. Collingwood won eighteen centre clearances in round one. Equal second in the comp with the Giants and the Bulldogs, just to give you an idea of the kind of company that Collingwood is in. Adelaide, meanwhile, had half of that. 
Adelaide were great in the second half. Don't get me wrong. Great comeback. But Fremantle kicked 11-17 in that game. Like they won by one point. They should have won by five goals. Mm. And if they did, we wouldn't be nearly as excited about Adelaide. Yeah. And Russ yeah. Shelley. Russ Shelley. Can we talk about it? Oh, Russ Shelley. Yeah. Unbelievable. unbelievable. But I, I actually, think he's going to keep five again. I actually reckon there's a fair chance that Nick Dacos and Rochelle line up on each other because he is playing across halfback, isn't he, Dax? So oh, that mate, might be fun. Turn in, turn, tune into that game, ladies and gentlemen. Dear listener, tune into that game. Who do you have in this one, Paddy? I call you by a couple, uh, probably about three, four goals. They were really good um, against the. Uh, well, goodness, there's my memory. The Saints just spoke about them. Um, and I also think that midfield just looks a little bit more mature than the Adelaide one, especially if Rory Sloan is going to miss through suspension um, for an eye gouge, which is surprising. So I think that Collingwood will be a little bit too big, too strong. I actually reckon there's a fair chance this the margin does actually stretch out a little bit, um, just purely because of where Collingwood's strengths are compared to Adelaide. I start re- I do think Adelaide overachieved in that Fremantle game, even though they did they did lose by a point. I th- I was a, I really don't think they'll be that good throughout this season. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of youth in that team, which will tire I think as we go on. So Collingwood by about I'll, I'll go about twenty points. On to Marvel Stadium, Essendon versus Brisbane. It's the Joe Show heading back home to Marvel Stadium now, uh, Paddy. I'll let you start off with this one. <laughs> I thought you might say that. Mm. Yeah, really, really good game of footy, this one, I think. Um, Essendon back on their home deck, probably. They're going to look a little bit better. They'll be stinging after after a pretty poor performance in round one. I think Brisbane were pretty good against Port. I think they, they left it late to really click. Um, and they're not... I don't know how much I trust them away from home. I'm going to grudgingly tip Brisbane um, by goal. I think there's every chance that Essendon take hold in this game. It just seems like the type of game that Essendon seem to win. Interstate team, Marvel Stadium, off the back of a pretty dodgy Essendon uh, performance the previous week. We haven't really seen it click really in the the AFL season. We saw it click in the preseason. I just think this is a good opportunity for it to happen. that being said, again, this is probably a tip that I'll change a bunch of times this week. At the moment, I'm I'm, I'm hanging with Brisbane by by a goal, but this will be a crunch one. Now, Mitch Robinson, we are currently recording this podcast at uh, very early in the morning on Tuesday morning. Tonight, Tuesday night, the Lions will head to the tribunal to challenge Mitch Robinson's one-game suspension. If they are unsuccessful, that's a massive out for Brisbane, considering how his physicality is crucial for the Lions. The Bombers, speaking of physicality, might be getting back Jake Stringer. Mm. That's so almost I, a game, isn't it? I, I do, I do kind of feel, I do kind of feel like that's a that's a big deal. Look, I'm I'm mostly, I'll be honest with you, I actually think Brisbane's going to win. However, I just can't, I cannot, I I still got to support the boys. I can't tip against us this early in the year. I'm tipping Essendon by one point. No, yep. no, no logical reason why. Essendon by a point. On yeah, to, yep. On to the Adelaide Oval. Port Adelaide versus Hawthorne. Now, according to AFLRatings.com, Aliyah Aliyah out for a few weeks. Probably Dixon won't be available for this game. Dersma, McKenzie, Robbie Gray, Rosie, 
all might miss. If they don't play, I think this game is going to be really, really close. If some of them get up, I think Port will win comfortably in the end after a tight Dallas struggle for most of the game. If all of them get up, Port won't really be troubled. But I saw enough from Hawthorne in round one. And yeah, they're going to have some big losses this year. I can't see because it's a young team. Young teams are really energetic. They do really well early in the year and then they taper off. I just can't see the Hawks being embarrassed in this game. Power still to win comfortably. I'm yep. taking them by five goals. Yep, I'll take the same. I think even without uh, Port Adelaide players. I think um, I did watch that Hawthorne North Melbourne game. Really great to watch all the young players, but both sides are very fumbly. Very fumbly, so uh, I'm going to take the power. Yet again, Brisbane and Port Adelaide all plays were pretty fumbly too. Mm, bit wet though. Yeah, it was a bit wet. It was a bit wet. You're right. On to Gold Coast versus Melbourne at Metricon Stadium. Now, here's a few interesting statistics. I want to ask you this, Patty, before before uh, before you start. Is this a danger game for the Premiers? I'll ask you why. I'll tell you why I ask this. They they lost the clearances by ten. Despite winning the hitouts by 24, they get 39 more contested possessions, had seven less tackles, 26 less disposals overall. The Suns won the disposal count by 16, had 17 more inside 50s, won the clearances by four, despite losing the hitouts by four. The Ds won the contested, contested possession count by 20 in their game. The Suns won that count by 34. The Suns had 21 more tackles. Total clearances, Gold Coast had nine more than Melbourne. So just want to ask you, right? I know, I know the Suns were playing the Eagles W, let's uh, say WAFL team, the Waffle team for West Coast, and the Demons were playing last year's reigning grand finalists. I just want to ask you: Is this a danger game? Um, I don't think so. I do really like the Suns. I think this year, well, not really, right? But I think they're they're they're, they're a lot better than probably people give them credit for. But Melbourne are that good. Like Melbourne are just far and away. So I'm tipping Melbourne by 40 points. But yeah, I think Gold Coast are okay, but I think they're probably a year off from having Melbourne look at this game and go, okay, we really need to watch out. Um, Miller and Rao and Anderson, that midfield trio was working a treat with Jared Witts. But when you compare that to Gorn, Petrarca, Oliver, um, Chuck Viney through there as well, and the D's look cherry, right? Um, so I'm, I'm happily taking them. But I'll be interested to see how Gold Coast go. Keep in mind, Melbourne did draw with Hawthorne last year. And the only team that they did not beat in 2021 were Collingwood, who finished 17th. So they are, uh, they are um, you know, they are the ones to lose the occasional game that they should win. That being said, I do think they'll win. I think Gold Coast will challenge them, though. I don't think it'll be a blowout like perhaps a lot of people think it's going to be. Now, on to Sunday. This is interesting. North Melbourne versus West Coast at Marvel Stadium. Patty, Willie Rioli, I want to ask you about this first. Willie Rioli, was that suspension warranted? Oh, yeah. Like, I think if uh, it was um, on ACN this morning, I think Gary Lyon, oh, was Gary Lyon? I think he made the point. Might have been a call of action now. I think about it, but if Matt Rowell had have broken his jaw, we wouldn't be seeing Willie Rioli for some time. Um, so, I think it was reckless. I think it was had a massive potential to cause injury, um, and I do think he had other options. So, I think fair enough that he gets gets some gets a suspension for that one. Um, as far as this game goes, I was actually really 
impressed with West Coast because I thought that would be quite dire, especially with their outs. They're going to get presumably some players back, you'd hope. Um, and I think North, you know, they're um they're rebuilding. They're probably not huge. Not going to win a lot of games this year. I think there was a probably a decent chance that they they have that they had against the Eagles. They have a good chance, I think, this week. Um, but I do think West Coast will be encouraged by their performance against the Suns. I actually thought Jermaine Jones going through the midfield was a really, really interesting story because this guy has been on, he was on Geelong's list, got there listed. He sort of forced his way into West Coast as a small forward. And then when given the option as a midfielder was actually really, really good. Um, I'm just trying to fetch, fetch his stats on the fly. Um, so I actually, I'm going to stay with West Coast um, for this game. Um I, I would have tipped North Melbourne if I was tipping two weeks ago, but after their improved performance, um, I'm going to, I'm going to go with the Eagles. Yeah, fair enough. Look, I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't have much to comment on this. The Eagles should be getting some players back. North Melbourne, they're still a young team. West coast. I don't think they'll have a good year, but they're still more experienced than North Melbourne and are a better team. I think overall than the kangaroos. Um, yeah. Eagles by four, uh, four goals. Now, I'll let you start off with this one. Since yeah. you already touched upon this, Richmond versus GWS on Sunday, and I do feel like it's a little bit of a sign of how far the Tigers have fallen. The fact that they've put in their first home game of the year, a against an, inter- an interstate club, and b on a Sunday afternoon. Mm. Yeah, I think um, this is just probably the natural progression. I think for the Tigers, they've been really good for a long time, and. Cochin and Rewalt probably in their last year and, and certainly look like it. Um, they weren't, it was a bit disappointing with obviously with that Carlton game. GWS, I, I, t- I had tipped over, over Sydney and they were okay. I still think um, I like probably missing a few players. Um, Nick Haynes being out with that, with the stomach issue, Toby Green, obviously out for the start of the season. Um, I, I reckon I'm, I'm tipping GWS. It's be the first time that they would have beaten Richmond at the MCG if they win it. I just think that this, this game smacks of a similar contest in 2019. Richmond had just lost Alex Rance um, to a knee injury. They played the Giants reeling um, at, in Western Sydney and, and, and GWS got up by about eight goals. Cameron kicked seven or something like that. And I uh, think this, Dusty, Dusty flipped off someone in the crowd. I remember that. Yeah, Dusty had some advice for Shane Mumford about his extracurricular activities that game as well. But um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to tip the Giants. I just think that there's Richmond's midfield is, is not really looking as good as it has. It's looking pretty poor. It's not look, It's looking as poor as it's been for a little while now. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to tip the Giants probably about four goals, I think. I'll probably be going to this game um, and I won't want to be right. But we'll, but I, I do feel fairly safe in that tip. Mate, you are a trooper. It'll be interesting to see whether or not the Tigers actually get a bigger home crowd compared to their home game against the Giants last year at Marvel Stadium. Probably not. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, some interesting statistics, right? GWS had more inside 50s than Richmond quite comfortably. Richmond are the worst side in the competition after week one for total clearances. GWS had 16 more total clearances than Richmond, and yet we're still amongst the bottom 10 or 11 teams for that stat. Giants comfortably had more disposals, kicked two more goals. Richmond's goal kicking accuracy was slightly better, but to be honest with you, I would be more scared if I was a Richmond supporter when I heard that. GWS third most tackles, equal third most tackles in round one, along with the Swans and Hawthorne. Richmond, dead last. 
with 30 left tackles than GWS. Center clearances, GWS equal second, Richmond smack bang in the middle. This is the best opportunity that GWS have ever had and probably will ever have to beat Richmond at the MCG. Yep. Without, without Prestia and without Rewalt, GWS, no injuries coming out of the Battle of the Bridge. Phil Davis in a rich vein of form, unlucky to not win man of the match. And I know his team lost, but he would have been up there, I've like figured, in the um in the Brett Kirk medalist count. I'm tipping the Giants by three goals. Now, quite possibly the most interesting game of the weekend, Fremantle versus St. Kilda in Perth. I'm tipping Fremantle by 29 points. Yeah. Wow. Purely because I don't trust St. Kilda. And I do not trust St. Kilda outside of Victoria. Now, granted, right, if you look at the amount of goals that they kicked last year um, in games outside Victoria, they kicked 90 goals versus 82 goals conceded. And they did crush the Dockers outside of Victoria last year by 58 points. However, that game was in Tasmania, where Fremantle have only won like two times in their history, three times in their entire history. They did, St. Kilda, kick just five goals against Port Adelaide in Adelaide the same season. St. Kilda still having injury problems, and when they are challenged, they fold like a deck of cards. Fremantle responded very well when challenged, eventually. Although if they can't kick straight, I wouldn't be surprised if the Saints win. But I'm tipping the Dockers by 29 points. Mm-hmm. Yep, um, I'm I'm put the same tip. I think Frio by probably eighteen points. Let's go three goals. Sounds about right. Um, but yeah, I I don't know the Saints. They have to get it right this week. I think that we had that discussion about time pressure. They they are the big team. They're the ones I think that we'll be talking about after round two, and I think most places will be talking about. And I don't think that noise is going to go away either just quietly Casper because they've got Richmond in round three how's that going to shape up imagine if both clubs are zero and two to start the year and they will be they will be they will be what a monster 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 clash that shapes up to be now I want to ask you this Patty which game are you most looking forward to this weekend and which game do you think could be the biggest blowout Dogs Carlton will be great. I'm really excited for that one um, because Carlton are, uh, uh, Carlton are flying, but they look really, they look good. They would be feeling great. They've just broken this massive drought. It was so important to their supporters. Um, bugger, bugger them, but, you know, good on them. Um, I've been there before after with Richmond when, when your team finally comes good after being rubbish for so long. It's a great feeling. Um, so hopefully they can continue that. The Dogs will be... They've had a tumultuous week, obviously. The beverage stuff, the lost them, which we probably expected. Um, so that's going to be a really, really good game of football, I think. Um, the one that I reckon really could blow out um, looking at this week, I do think Port Adelaide Hawthorne could get a bit nasty. Um, I think there's every chance that Port really bring us bring a steamroller to it to a fist fight. Um, with this one. And I, I actually have a, a little bit of a, I guess it's probably my pessimism talking, but I have I don't have a great feeling about GWS Richmond um, because I think the Tigers have been, as you said, overrated probably in the preseason because of their previous form. Um, I don't think, I think the cupboard for depth is a little bit bare, especially in the midfield. They've got guys they've drafted. They're just a little bit away in development. 
Um, and the people, the, the players will be stepping in like Thompson Dow, Riley Collier Dawkins, Hugo Ralph Smith, um, Jack Ross. They're not terrible options, but they're, they're certainly, then you look at what Tom Green did on the weekend against Sydney. They're, they're not up to that standard. Um, so I, I, I have a sneaking, I have a little sneaking concern that the GWS might do a number on the Tykes on Sunday. Interesting. I'm tipping, I would have also said Bulldogs, Carlton, but it'll be different. And I'll say Sydney versus Geelong. Buddy potentially kicking his thousandth goal. Please, a replay of a repeat of last year's epic at the SEG would be awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And by the way, any Geelong fan is still salty about that. You guys were lucky to beat Brisbane anyways earlier because of a bad umpiring call. So, you know, it's only fair that it's fair. Game, I think, could be the biggest blowout. North Melbourne versus West Coast. But also, truthfully, Brisbane and Essendon. I actually think that it's more likely that that Essendon will um, turn up really than for a smashing rather than Brisbane. I just don't see Brisbane being a team that that really pummels footy clubs away from home, especially at Marvel. I think Essendon usually have a happy hunting ground there in Docklands, um, and I think they will be burning. They they will be unhappy. Yep, fair call, mate. Look, Patty, thank you very much for joining me for this episode. Good luck for Sunday, mate. You're a trooper going, especially considering the fact that you don't have a good feeling for it. Good on you, mate. Thanks, Gus. Thanks for having me on again. Thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod, and you can join me and a co-host next week. Who will it be? I don't know. You're going to have to tune in next week to find out. Uh, As we review the second qualifying final in the AFLW, preview the other prelim final in the AFLW, review round two of the men's actions and preview round three of the AFL men's season. Be a massive episode. Don't forget to join in next week. Until then, sayonara. Sayonara.